Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, grab your notes, and uh, we are in week two of an important series right now, and in this series, uh, we are uh, using the space in front of Easter known as the Lenten season, so churches around the world will often use the season prior to Easter called Lent as a way to focus on Jesus and focus on what he said and what he did and why his sacrifice and why his life was and is so compelling. And so um, that is an important season. And so a lot of us are doing it. Think about it this way. Easter is so important to Christianity and to those of us who believe in Jesus. You can't trip your way into Easter. You got to prepare for Easter. Can I get an amen? So that's what we're doing in this season. We're focusing on uh, Jesus and a lot of things that he said and did. And right now we're focusing on a really important conversation that Jesus had with a Roman prefect. When I say the word prefect, think of the word governor, a Roman governor by the name of Pontius Pilate. Let me show you a rendering of what people think he looked like. This is Pontius Pilate. And Jesus, and he had this incredible interchange, a provocative conversation in Judea. And when you think of Roman prefect, when you think of governor, here's what I want you to think of. He was the head of the Roman, uh, the Roman judicial system. And because he was head of the Roman judicial system, Jesus would have appeared to Pilate when uh, Jesus was brought up on treasonous charges against the Roman government. So there's this provocative interchange that they had, and that's what we're uh, talking about right now, and we're using it in a way as a springboard into some deeper and some more important conversations. Now, I was thinking about this because every now and again, uh, I want to. I like to move our teaching space, if you will, out into a little bit deeper water, and I want us to engage the Lord with our minds, love the Lord with our minds. I was thinking about this in Matthew chapter twenty-two. Jesus was asked one time um, by someone, "Hey, when when humanity interacts with God, what is most important?" And, uh, you know, something, maybe he was trying to trick Jesus, something, it was a really honest question. And, and, and so he asked this guy, or this guy asked Jesus this question. And here's how Jesus responded. Jesus took 613 Levitical laws and he boiled them all down to two. And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're to love your neighbors yourself. That's all the Levitical code boiled down to just two laws. But in Matthew 22, this is what he says. He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, heart, soul and, and mind. And so I'm thinking about this idea this morning, how to love God with our mind. And that's what I'm gonna invite us to do this morning. We're gonna love God with our mind. Now, I know we're in Loxahatchee. And we're not necessarily the, um, the, the, the wisdom capital of the world. Come on. But I think people are wrong about that. And we ain't scared. Okay? 
So we're going to love the Lord God with our mind. And here's what I want to tell you also. If you're new and you're a first-timer, here's what I want to say. We have a high view of Scripture. We preach and teach from it every weekend. Today's going to feel a little different. And so uh, what I want to do, and this is kind of my own, my own sort of illustration, my own thought work. I think I'm going to dig some footers uh, this morning, if you're willing to let me do that, then we're going to build the rest of the series on in the coming weeks. So we're going we're gonna to lean into a little bit, loving God with our mind. Can we do it? Can we do it? We're going to go three, two, one, go community of hope. Ready? Three, two, one. All right. So we're going to, so Jesus is having this provocative conversation with Pilate and there's all this religious or, or ideological jujitsu going on. And if you read it, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And then, then Pilate asks Jesus this question and Jesus responds and he says a very, there's a very important interchange that's going to have a lot of tissue, connective tissue for us in our culture today. I want to show it to you. It happens in John 18. Here it is here. So there's been a conversation. Jesus responds. And then Pilate says this. This is where we're picking it up. He says, so you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say, you say, this is important. You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and the reason I came into the world to testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate retorted, what is truth? And and, and that's what we're looking at. Now, little historical footnote here. Most scholars think in this conversation that what Pilate was doing was he was trying to have Jesus admit that he's a king. Because that's a, that's a treasonous act against Rome, punishable by execution, even without a trial. Important footnote. So, people are think, scholars kind of think, this is just Pilate wanting to move the conversation along. Like, I just need to get it off my calendar. Now, I'm not convinced that's all that's going on. And I want to tell you why I'm not convinced of it. Because a little later, if you read this, you're reading in the Gospel of John, a little later... Uh, Pilate comes back, and this is what he says. I, I don't really find a reason to condemn him. So he's trying to exonerate Jesus. Now, then you go over to Matthew's gospel. This is fascinating to me as a lover of history. You go over to Matthew's gospel, and, and Pilate's, and we learn in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, that, that Pilate's wife comes over to Pilate and said, says this in effect. You don't want to mess with Jesus. So it's almost as though Pilate's wife is saying, something going on there, you don't really want to mess with him. Can we almost want to pause and go, aren't we thankful for spouses willing to get up in our business? (laughs) Can can I get an amen? Amen. Probably why I'm not in jail and I'm running around. Okay, no, just kidding. All right, so, so, um, I'm not fully convinced that Pilate was just trying to get it off the calendar. And, and in this weird thing in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate in this incredibly melodramatic moment comes out in front of the people and he washes his hands. And he says, my hands are innocent of this man's blood. Like this incredibly melodramatic move. So there's a lot going on in here, but the thing that I want us to notice on and we're using as a springboard is that this conversation where Jesus is saying, hey, the reason I'm here is to testify to the truth. That's important. We're going to come back to it. And then Pilate asked the question, what is truth? 
And as Pastor Trevor really pointed out last week, I never saw it until he said it, he didn't even stick around for the answer. He says, what is truth? And he kind of storms out, right? Now, here's the thing. That's the question we're all asking today, right? What is truth? I mean, there's your truth, and there's my truth, and there's alternative truth and alternative facts. There uh, is um, almost like truth just is this moving thing. It's almost like you ever played the game whack-a-mole? And in our culture today, truth is like whack-a-mole. Like if you don't like that version of truth, hit it over the head. It'll go down. Some other version of the truth will pop up. You know, we're kind of we're kind of doing that. Um, I, I think about this because like every year at, at the holidays, at Christmas time, uh, I have family that comes and stays in my house. Now you probably have this going on, this dynamic on in your house too. So um, and and they they come and they stay in my house uh, for the holidays, and they have very divergent places where they each get their news. Come on, come on, come on. So, so whatever news channel is playing on my television is largely determined by who gets the remote first, right? And this happens every Christmas in my house. It's the most wonderful time of the year, okay, right? So here's what I want to ask the question. You ever wonder how we got here? I mean, how do we get into this place where truth is become so mobile? And I was thinking about this because if, if we're really going to understand where it came from, and this is where we're going to love God with our minds for a few moments, we're going to have to go back in history. And those who study this kind of thing as a lover of history, when I'm reading and studying and all of this kind of stuff... Um, a lot of historians will point to a particular time in history that really set the stage for what we are experiencing right now in our culture. I'm going to ask you to stay with me because we're going to do a little bit of a a dive off into history. They tell us, those who study this thing, say that we have to actually go back to around the 16th uh, or the 17th century, which is, uh, I think, 16, 18 to 48, and a thing called the 30 Years' War. And if you study the 30 years war, this period, which is, again, 1618 to 1648, roughly, here's what you notice. This is one of the bloodiest times in world history, by far, by far. Let me just, let me tell you how bloody. Eight million people died in the 30 years war. Uh, Another fact, 30%, Germany was decreased in population by 30%. 30%. Bloody. Awful. And here's what's even worse. It was a religious war. And it was, it, it was even a particular religion, Christianity. And all the major sects of Christianity, S-E-C-T-S, just to make sure you're staying with me, Okay. We're fighting against one another. Catholics are fighting against Anglicans. Calvinists are fighting against uh, the, the Lutherans. And it was awful. And, and all, these, all of the governments and a lot of the leaders back then got together. And what they said was, um, we got to figure something out. Why? There's not going to be anybody left. 
We're, we're, we're killing everybody. We got, we got to do something. And so they all came together. You can look this up. And they created kind of a treaty. There was an event. And the event was called um, the Peace of Westphalia. And I want to show you. Here's, here's kind of an artist's rendering of the Peace of Westphalia. And here's what happened during the Peace of Westphalia. Uh, all these leaders came together and they said this. It's no longer fair or cool or right to kill people for religious ideology. We should sign something like that again today, shouldn't we? Okay, more on that. And so this is what, this is what they said. It's no, it's no longer right to do that. We're all gonna say we're not gonna do that. And when they did that, a word and, a, and an idea that was already in our culture began to really gained traction and became a formational value in our culture. And it's tied to a word. You've heard it. You've seen it. I want to show you the word. And the word is tolerance. Good thing. Good thing. We're not going to kill people anymore for religious purposes. Okay, you doing okay? We're still loving God with our minds. You with me? Okay. And when that happened... That gave birth to another idea called the secular state. And here's what the secular state kind of said. The the idea behind the secular state is this. It's the idea that um, no government really should line up with any particular religion. Because this is what was leading to all of the the blood. And, And so... These two values became operational values in the culture back then. Those who study this go all the way back there and they go, this is kind of when all of, of this started to happen. Here's an interesting side note. I'm going to push you a little bit. A lot of times you'll read and you'll read that, um, like, uh, say, the secular progressives are the ones who launched this idea against, really, a religion in our culture. If you really want to point at someone, you may want to point at the church because the church wasn't loving people the way they were supposed to. They were killing everybody, killing one another. And in fact, I'll just say, as you'd probably expect me to say this, largely speaking, most of the problems in our culture is when the church isn't really the church. And so just an interesting side note. Now, this is launched. This is where we are. And then something else happened over the last, say, 100 years and maybe even 50 years uh, in particular. It's another word. I want to show you the word. The word is pluralism. And actually, the word pluralism is this idea that points to this, um, points to the diversity in religion and diversity in ethnicity that's taking place in our world. Uh, Think about it this way. Your grandparents, and maybe their parents, may have lived their whole lives being only with people that looked like them and believed like them. And let me just ask the question, 
Is that the world we're living in anymore? No. So all of this began to work together. And in the last 50, 40, 30 years, it's just on steroids. And this began to have, watch me now, this began to have a huge impact on what we think about truth. And particularly what we think about absolute truth. And here's a very interesting thing. I told the teaching team this this week. When you put all this in a stew together, I think we can point out and just say very clearly that like things like tolerance and pluralism are great servants, but they're horrible masters. And when we, when we just lean too far around this kind of stuff, now here's what happens. Truth becomes mobile. And that's, that's the infection. Y'all, I want, you, I want you to know, right? That's the infection we're all swimming in right now. Uh, these ideas, let me push to the outer ends of this. As all of this becomes more and more on the margins around any opportunity to have genuine conversations, even where we disagree, I'm really left one option when I disagree with you, and that is to hate you. That's our culture right now, right? Or even this, everything, and and if I hate you, I hate you in a particular way. It's just racist. Oh, Pastor Dale. But see, here's the thing. That's unintelligent to really say that. Because what it does is it undercuts hatred and racism, which actually are real things. Right? Okay. So we're loving God with our minds. We're still going to love God with our minds for a few more moments. Just stay with me. I know this feels a little different in the room. Here's what I find super fascinating about all this conversation. What I find fascinating about this conversation is, number one, it's this. We don't actually live this way. This is is really how you know in in part really that um, some of what uh, we're living in right now as a culture isn't accurate, it seems off in a way, because here's what I would tell you. We, we We don't really live this way. We don't live like there are no absolute truths. And by the way, right, for a truth to be a truth, follow me now, it has to be absolute. And watch this. And when, when it's absolute, it, it does appear to be narrow. If I say two plus two is four, that's absolute. That's narrow. Are you, are you tracking with me? And so this is, this is really, this is a problem right now uh, in our culture. And, and I would say, those of us in the religious community, we feel this really strongly because some of the narrative that's being pushed right now is this idea that there is no absolute truth. If you hold on to it, you're, you're unintelligent or watch this, you're extreme. Because isn't it the ones who hold on to absolute truth those are the ones who fly planes into buildings. Do you hear it? 
But what I find fascinating, put it back up again, we don't, we don't actually live this way. Let, let, me, let me show you an example. Um, you've probably seen this picture before. Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Do you notice? That's absolute. It's narrow. See, we don't, we don't live that way. In fact, I was thinking about this. If you don't believe me, when you leave here and you go to the grocery store or you go to a restaurant for lunch, pull into the parking lot and wait till a car behind you heads toward a parking place <laughs> and right before they do, pull in in front of them. You know what you're going to run into? Absolute truth, <laughs> right? Uh, maybe do that in a line. Uh, I was over this week at uh, Home Depot. You ever, ever go to the return line at Home Depot? I don't believe in the concept of purgatory theologically, <laughs> but the return line at Home Depot kind of makes me wonder, just a little, a little. All that was supposed to be really funny. It was f- so funny at, at 8.30. All right, we, we don't live that way. Now, Here's what I find even more fascinating. Jesus didn't live this way. He didn't. Let me show you. John chapter 8, verse 32. Look at what he says. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Again, I want you to notice. It's absolute. It's narrow. And I want you to notice this. Then you will know the truth. And for those of us who struggle with grammar... That's a definite article pointing to a specific noun. Not an indefinite article pointing to any noun. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So here we are. We are swimming in a culture that's moving truth everywhere. What are reasonable, loving people supposed to do? How are we to navigate? I want to give you an idea. I think when you think of truth... Let me give you a definition. I think truth is reality. Just hold hold that intention for a moment. Truth is reality, or um, 
that which corresponds to reality. Don't you see that's kind of what Jesus is hinting at? And then, watch this. We have... Lies. And here's what I would tell you. Think of lies as unreality or that which corresponds toward unreality. And let me show you attention. Stay, stay with me. I promise I'm going to land this plane. Um, because we're humans who are able to think high, right? Um, we can live in the tension of these two ideas. I'll say it of myself so you don't have to say it of yourself. Uh, I probably have some things that I hold on to that are truthful. And here's if I'm going to be an intelligent human being, I have to hold open the idea that I might actually hold some things also that are not true and, and humans have the capability to do that. We can live in the tension uh, of th- these ideas. And this think of this middle space as ideas about truth and lies. One of my favorite authors, you hear me quote him often. Uh, my goal, he's, ri- he's written a lot. My goal is to, before I die, to have read every single thing he ever wrote. His name is Dallas Willard. This was super helpful for me. Dallas Willard says this, look at this. Our ideas, y'all, this is, this is fire, are our assumptions about reality. Here we are. We have ideas. Are they, are they truthful? Are they not truthful? We're in this tension. And because our ideas are our assumptions about reality, how do, we, how, do, how do we get our ideas? I think we get our ideas out of one of three ways. Stay with me. One way is um, our mental maps, which is kind of a, on a molecular level, this is kind of how neurobiologists tell us. They, they, they say this, like we, we do something and, and we learn we do it and then we start doing it that way, the same way every time and then it becomes a mental map. Uh, my, my grandson, who is phenomenally good looking, by the way, um, he's just celebrated 10 months. Should show you a picture of him, but I would lose you. We'd never get back to the message. But um, I'm watching him Here's what you watch when a a 10-month-old, he's just coming alive, right? I mean, at month four, he had arms. He didn't know what his arms were doing, and all of a sudden, he whacked himself, and he was like, hey, what's this? You know, kind of a thing. And I mean, he's just kind of coming alive, right? Think about this. When you leave here and you drive home, do you really think about how you drive home? You just drive home. Neurobiologists say that's a mental map. Watch this now sociologists tell us, what do we do in the middle space? Well, sociologists tell us, well, it's formed, this middle space formed by our worldview. What's our worldview? Maybe the house you grew up in. Maybe, maybe the part of the country you grew up in. Maybe the country you grew up in. That's just our, we have this worldview. Okay, you still tracking with me? There's one more. There's one more. You know what it is? 
It's our faith, which is Jesus. And here's what I find super interesting, super fascinating. I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. This is why you're here. The only one of these three, only one of these three makes a claim of something very, very interesting. And it's this third one. And you know what the claim is? Jesus gave it to us in John 8, 32. Truth can be known. Watch this. And truth can set us free. It's the only one of the three that makes that claim. Cool, Pastor Dale. Awesome. Why do I care? Can I show you why you should care? Jesus is in effect saying this. You're in the middle space. When you navigate toward truth, you are incrementally becoming more free. When you navigate toward a lie, you are incrementally becoming more in bondage. Freedom, bondage, formation, (laughs) deformation. I was reading this week, and uh, one of the authors put it like this, say, Say, you grew up in an environment that tapped your mental maps and your worldview that you're unlovable. And you start to believe it. And you believe it long enough And you begin to see yourself as a person who is incapable of love. Why? You're unlovable. You don't matter. You'll always be below. You're not good enough. I've told you you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Now, here's the weird thing, and I think this is you know, again, give me the tension, even if you disagree. This is why I believe in the devil. You believe that stuff long enough, you become that stuff. Versus navigating over here to truth. <laughs> You're absolutely left. 
You're absolutely good enough. You're absolutely worth it. You're a child of God and a person of worth. Come on. We all live at the tyranny of our ideas. We all live at the tyranny of our ideas. And our ideas are assumptions about how life works. Jesus was clear. It's narrow, not narrow-minded. We're going to talk about that. Narrow. Absolute. Jesus never talked about faith the way we talk about it in our culture. Because, watch again, this has been pushed so to the margins faith has. Here's what faith equals in our culture today. Wishful thinking about stuff that ain't, Loxahatchee, true. Jesus never talked about that. Jesus talked about truth. You saw it right there in the verse. As something to be known. Knowledge. Faith can be known. Here's what's interesting. We've relegated that. I can, this is a whole other sermon. We've relegated this over to the university system. And now... Religion is pushed out to the margins of that. But if you go to many of our major universities in our nation and you read the cornerstones going on to those campuses, most of them have words like veritas, which is truth, or scripture verses, or vertas, which is virtue. But we don't talk about that anymore. This is the whole ball game right here. What are you going to believe? Lies? The truth. You shall know the truth And the truth shall set you free. Lord Jesus, help us. I mean, some of us, God, I just, I shudder to think some of the lies that some of us have, you know, that have been weaponized against us and that we've come to believe and that the enemy now is doubling down in our minds and hearts and we just cannot get free. And you've said so clearly and so beautifully and so compellingly that if we just move toward you, freedom is possible. Faith can be known as true. All of that comes as a result of what you have accomplished for us that we remember during the season of Lent. And for that, 
we are most grateful. Amen. Hey, you're about to walk out. You're about to walk out into a world. Truth is moving all over the place. And if you're careful or not careful, you're going to swim in it. And you're going to get caught up in stuff that's not true. Be, be careful out there. Be careful. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are truth. And we're learning about that in this series. So help us. And for those of us who are, you know, Lord, we are just help those of us who don't yet believe. Can we just manifest an openness, open our minds and our hearts. Trust you to guide us. Uh, more on that. We love you and we thank you and we pray together in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. We have folks here that would love to pray with you. If you have a prayer request, please come this way before you go that way. Go in his mercy and his grace. See you next weekend.